0: Do we have anybody here who would raise their hand if they're a runner? Do we have any runners in the house? Like 10 maybe? Yeah. So if you've been at DCC for any amount of time at all, you probably know that Chris, our senior pastor is a big runner and that he's always trying to get those around him to be a runner. Uh, So there's probably at least in part, the reason why he brought a bunch of us as staff this week on a field trip down to one of his very favorite stores, a little place called Mill City Running, which is down in Northeast. I think we have a picture, yes. Uh, It was absolutely, it was a blast to go down there and have lunch and then just kind of meet these people. We met the the founders, Jeff and Becca Metzdorf, and we got to meet them and hear a little bit of their story. Jeff and Becca just have a passion for two things. They have a passion for running. And they have a passion for community and and they opened mill city running to be a place where they could share those passions with others. Their desire is that everyone would get to experience what they've experienced through running in community. And it's evident in every aspect of their store. Their motto is up on the wall on a big chalkboard. And it basically says something like this. We want to be a place where anyone can come, even if they don't think they're a runner and see themselves as part of this. No matter where they're at in their fitness, we want them to do this in community with one another. And so do so much more than sell shoes. They have running groups virtually every night of the week. And for each group, there's a different pace leader that they've assigned so that people at different paces of running can find a place. And all of their staff have actually come up out of these pace groups. And they've got dozens of other volunteers who are now leading these pace groups. A store that has volunteers leading They're running groups and and they're raising up new leaders all the time and training them up so that everyone can be experiencing this. And they've got these training events where you can come and learn more about running, how to do it better, how to do it more safely. This one's called like run safe, run smart or something like that. I think it involves punching. While you run, I'm not exactly sure, but they also have flapjack Fridays where everyone can come post run and have uh, flapjacks that they make right there at the store. They have donut runs, which is a little bit more my speed where they have groups that go out and literally run to different donut shops around the twin cities. And they said it's just an actual break even on calories at that point, but that's okay. Yeah. They'll sell you shoes and apparel. As Jeff said, that's what keeps the lights on but they're about so much more than just selling shoes. All of that is just a means to a much larger end, a much bigger purpose for existing. They've built this whole community of people that are about so much more than shoes. They love running and they love community. And so they're so excited that they want everyone else to be able to experience what they've experienced, to experience the transformation that they've experienced in their lives and in their community as a result of running. They want everyone to experience running with us. Does that sound familiar? For anybody who's been around ECC for any amount of time, our invitation is to experience God with us. They are, in very real ways, making disciples of running. In fact, more than that, they are making disciples who make disciples of running. That's how passionate they are about what they're doing. And it's fun to see. I mean, even if you're not a runner, and I'm not yet a runner, uh I'm maybe not ever going to be a runner. It almost makes me want to become a runner. Almost. <laughs> the donuts. <laughs> but- I think it also, I think, invites us, asks us, maybe forces us to ask questions about what we're doing as a church, as a manual, as a church in America. It forces us to ask the question: are we making disciples? Are we so excited about what God has done in our lives that we can't wait to tell people, that we're not, we can't wait to share that story, telling everyone all, all about it, that we're wearing the shirts and we're inviting others to experience God with us in community? Or Are we maybe sitting around the store talking about how great running is, but never actually getting out of the store on a run, never actually inviting our neighbors to join us, getting more and more knowledge about running and buying the right gear, So we look like runners, but slowly getting more and more out of shape. I the question. Are we making disciples? Is the church in America making disciples? According to the research that I've found, perhaps we we aren't 82% of the unchurched are at least somewhat likely to attend church. If invited, but only 2% of church members invite an unchurched person to church. 98% of churchgoers never extend an invitation in a given year. Lifeway research who did this reports that in a study of Christians, when asked about how many times in the past six months, have you personally shared with someone how to become a Christian? We have that chart as well. There we go. 61% said zero times in the last six months. Uh, 16% said one time, 9% said two times. So where are you on that chart? If I'm honest, I got to tell you, I'm, I'm part of the 61%. I mean, I talk about this stuff all the time because I'm a pastor and I'm up front, but the truth is like personally shared with somebody how to become a Christian. I think you might have to go back a lot farther than six months. In my life, frankly, on a personal one-on-one basis. That's interesting. It's not just that we we don't know that we're supposed to be doing this. This, In the same study, when they asked the group, if they had a responsibility to share my religious beliefs about Jesus Christ with non-Christians, nearly 80% of the respondents either agreed somewhat or agreed strongly. So we get that we're like supposed to, and the majority of us don't. And so we're left with kind of this tension or this, this guilt, maybe the sense that we're not quite doing it. But, but honestly, like over time that kind of dissipates and we just get more comfortable with the fact that that's our pattern. And we just kind of let each other off the hook, perhaps I suspect. And we're left sitting in the store, looking out at the street and wonder what's happening to the state of running in America Last week, Chris was talking about this whole idea of how we share our faith. What messages do we have? And one of the things he said is, is there's endless reasons why people will be resistant to the message that we have. And I think there's, there's absolute truth. in that. the question we want to look at today though, is what are the reasons why we are resistant to sharing the message that we have? And on this subject, as I've said, I'm kind of an expert, not because of the research I've done, but because I'm, kind of resistant to sharing my faith. I've made a pattern of that. In fact, and so I can tell you some of the reasons that I've identified in my own life of why it's hard for me in a personal one-on-one relationship with my neighbors, with coworkers. Well, my coworkers are all Christians because I work at a church. Um, but, With, with my neighbors, with friends, uh, why is it hard for me? Last week, uh, last Wednesday night was the last night of regular youth group. And this, is, this was the subject, actually, that youth group talked about, Dan and the students. And he asked them, what are the, res- the reasons that they're resisting? What are the struggles they have with sharing their faith? And a lot of the reasons they shared were, were, were very similar to the struggles that I've had. And so let's look at some of those. The first one that I, I have personally, that maybe you can identify with, I call the mute button. I think somewhere along the line, many of us, myself included, got the message that we don't actually have to talk about our faith. In fact, perhaps maybe we shouldn't talk about our faith. We should just live it out. There's a quote that I've heard many, many times in sermons, and I'm sure you've heard it as well. It's St. Francis of Assisi, and he says, Preach the gospel at all times, and if necessary, use words. We've heard that, right? I mean, basically we take that to mean live your life in such a way that you don't actually ever have to talk about your faith to share your faith. In fact, it's preferable not to use words, use words only if absolutely necessary, right? It's clever. And I've heard it many, many times, but there's a couple of problems with this quote. Uh, The first is that Francis of Assisi never actually said it. (laughs) In fact, he never said anything remotely like it. Uh, His message consistently through his life and through his ministry was your life had better match the words you preach. My life had better match the words that I preach. Don't have anything in your life that contradicts the message that you preach. And he preached. Words were his primary medium. He literally stood on street corners, on bales of hay, preaching to the masses, to whomever would hear. And then lived a life that matched that. Secondly, I think this very idea of living a life that is so good. And I got this idea from Dan living a life that is so good that somehow people around us would get a complete picture of who God is and come to a saving knowledge of Jesus Christ based on our lifestyle is probably magical thinking. No one can be that good. I mean, that's at the very core of what we believe as followers of Christ, that none of us are good. That that none of us can be good enough of our own merit and our own effort. And in fact, it is only through the amazing grace of God that we can experience goodness at all. It's him doing it in and through us. Yes, our lives have to match that. We have to live our values. We have to embody our values as we talked about in the series. But our very message is that we aren't good enough. That's what's beautiful. That's what's amazing that God can do that. Even in broken, messed up people like us. Our lives must embody our values, but they must also, and maybe first, proclaim our message. We looked uh, last week at Romans 10. I want to look at it again today. It says, if you openly declare that Jesus is Lord and believe in your heart that God raised him from the dead, you will be saved. For it is by believing in your heart that you were made right with God, and it is by openly declaring your faith that you are saved. According to the Apostle Paul, it's more than just believing the right things. We have to also proclaim Those truths openly, the gospel, the good news must be proclaimed. He goes on in just a couple of verses later in verse 13 to say this for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, but how can they call on him to save them unless they believe in him? And how can they believe in him if they've never heard about him? And how can they hear about him unless someone tells them and how will anyone go and tell them without being sent? That is why the scripture says, how beautiful are the feet of the messengers who bring Good news. We're probably all familiar with the expression. You have to see it to believe it. But I think here Paul is saying they have to hear it to believe it. I think he's saying to them, they must hear the message and I'm sending you. You must be the bearers of that message. The ambassadors of Christ. Those who share the gospel verbally, go and tell them, tell them your words, your story, your experience of God show them this good news. I think what St. Francis actually taught was that it's both in the words we say. And by the way, we live out those values in the world that we proclaim the gospel. It's the same message that Paul had written in Romans 15. that we've looked at several times during the series. We're going to look at it more depth next week. Verse 17. It says, for I have reason to be enthusiastic about all Christ. Jesus has done through me in my year, in my service to God. Yet I dare not boast about anything except what Christ has done through me, bringing the Gentiles to God by my message and by the way I worked among them. Paul brought the gospel of Jesus Christ by his message, his words. And by the way, he worked that out in and among them. He did nothing that would in any way compromise or jeopardize the gospel that he had preached, the message, the picture of the kingdom that he had preached. I think a more accurate quote of St. Francis, therefore might read something like preach the gospel all the time, both by telling the story and then living the story out in your everyday life. It's not nearly as clever, but I think it actually reflects his heart more So this idea of the mute button, the idea that we don't have to talk about it. I think that's one of the reasons, but I think an even more pressing reason, the reason that most of the youth group reported, the reason that I've experienced most in my life is fear. It is difficult. It is weird in our culture to talk about our beliefs. That's just off. That's off limits. And and to in any way communicate to somebody else that that you believe something and, and that perhaps they're wrong and that you're right. just feels very, very uncomfortable to us. I mean, we think things like, what will people think? Will they think I'm a weirdo. We actually make up these narratives, these conversations in our mind of what that conversation might look like. If we ever broach that subject with somebody who's not a believer, right? I mean, we talk about these things, these people who are friends of ours and coworkers, people with whom we would talk about any other subject. But on this one subject, we think that if, if we bring that up, they're going to react. They're going to get angry. They're going to call us a weirdo. They're going to break off the friendship. And it's just so true in our minds. But I think we have to ask the question, is it true? Is that really what would happen if we talk about this thing that should be so central to who we are? I think we would suspect that they would see us as proselytizing them. Is anybody here familiar with the magical comedy duo, Penn and Teller, right? Chris is. The tall one is, uh, Penn Jillian, and He's sort of the voice of the DO. He's the wisecracker. He's the funny man. And he's also a very outspoken atheist. He's made it very publicly clear his views on God. And so you, you can, you can imagine that I was surprised this week when I was talking with my friend, Jeff Olson, who's the pastor at, um, catalyst covenant. And he shared this, this video with me. Let's watch.
1: I want to talk to you about this. Uh, I get home from the show, and at the end of the show, as I've mentioned before, we go out and we uh, we talk to folks and you know sign an occasional autograph and shake hands and so on. And there was one guy waiting over to the side in the um, what I call the hover position. After I was all done, big guy, probably about my age, he had been the um, the guy who has uh, picks the joke during our psychic comedian section of the show. And he walked over to me and he said, "Um, I was here last night at the show and uh, uh, I saw the show and I liked it. He was very complimentary about my use of language and um, complimentary about, you know, honesty and stuff. He said nice stuff. No reason to go into it, but he said nice stuff. And then he said, brought this for you and he handed me a uh, Gideon pocket edition um, I thought I said from the New Testament but I also thought it was Psalms from the New Testament right or, uh, Psalms from the New just part of the New Testament little book about this big this thick you know he said I wrote in the front of it and I wanted you to have this I'm kind of uh, proselytizing. I and mean, then he said, I'm a businessman. I'm, I'm sane. I'm not crazy. And he looked me right in the eye and did all of this. And uh, it was really wonderful. I believe he knew that I was an atheist. But he was not uh, defensive, and he looked me right in the eyes. And he was truly complimentary. It wasn't in any way, it didn't seem like empty flattery. He was really kind and nice and sane and looked me in the eyes and talked to me. And then gave me this Bible. How much do you have to hate somebody to not proselytize? How much do you have to hate somebody to believe that everlasting life is possible and not tell them that? I mean, if I believed beyond a shadow of a doubt that a truck was coming at you and you didn't believe it, that truck was bearing down on you, there's a certain point where I tackle you. And this is more important than that. And I've always thought that, and I've written about that, and I've thought of it conceptually. This guy was a really good guy. He was polite and honest and sane, and he cared enough about me to proselytize and give me a, a Bible, which had written in it a little note to me, uh, not very personal, but just, you know, like to show and so on, and then like five phone numbers for him and an email address if I wanted to get in touch. Now, I know there's no God, and one polite person living his life right doesn't change that. Uh, but I'll tell you, he was a very, very, very good man. And uh, that's really important. And with that kind of goodness, uh, it's okay to have that deep of a disagreement. I still think that religion does a lot of bad stuff, but man, that was a good man who gave me that book. That's all I wanted to say.
0: Interesting, right? I had never seen that before. Uh, It's just such an interesting snapshot into the mind, into the thought patterns of somebody who claims to be a non-believer, who claims to be an atheist. To give us that sort of snapshot into what he thinks. uh, That if we don't, if we actually believe this stuff and don't care enough about people to talk about it, what message is that sending? It's also really important to be sane, apparently, when you (laughs) talk about your faith. He hammered that home. I think it's easy, perhaps, for some of us to kind of hear that message and go, "Well, I mean, yeah, he's a comedian, he's a magician, he's not necessarily representative of, you know, uh, of the average person out there." Maybe, but I got to say, my research, I've I've found that perhaps his perspective does actually represent a fairly widely held openness to discussing matters. Of faith a few years ago, Lifeway Research, who did that study that I was talking about earlier, uh, they did a study of young unchurched people people who identified themselves as unchurched in america and here 's what they found seventy three percent of unchurched twenty to twenty nine year old Americans consider themselves spiritual because they want to know more about God or a higher supreme being eighty nine percent of unchurched young adults say that they would listen to what someone believes about Christianity. of young adults said that they would attend church if it presented truths to them in an understandable way that relates to my life now. And 58% of 20-somethings would be likely to attend if the people at the church cared for them as a person. Isn't that interesting? According to that same study, 77% of those young people who self-identify as unchurched say that, they, that, that believing in Jesus makes a positive difference in a person's life. And yet they stay away from church. I think we have to ask why. The truth is, these narratives, these conversations that we have in our mind, that we play out of how we think our friends and coworkers and, and people in our neighborhood are going to react to these conversations, they're simply not based in reality. Now, for sure, you can handle this badly. It's possible to be right and still be a jerk. <laughs> You know, if you approach this, you know, pedantically and, you know, uh, is that even a word? Yeah, it is. Right. Okay. Was it an appropriate word to use there? Okay, good. (laughs) If you go in looking for a fight, if you're obnoxious and pushy and judgmental and you confirm all the stereotypes that people have about what Christians are, yes, this will go badly for you. But by and large, people in your life, your neighbors, your coworkers, your friends are far more open to this than you think. Are you so bought into the value of the experience of God? Do you so believe that God can transform life. Have you experienced such transformation that you can't just not tell people about it? That you're willing to take the apparently very low risk of sharing that with someone in your life, someone that you care about. As I ask myself that question, which should be an obvious yes. It's not quite as obvious for me. And I think that brings us to not the final, but the last one we'll talk about today. The, the, the last reason why perhaps I've struggled, and why perhaps some of you have struggled in sharing this experience of God. I think finally, it's that beyond the mute button and the fear, we ourselves have had too little experience of God ourselves. It's not bad theology. It's not bad doctrine. I think it's, it's more that all of this has just sort of become old hat. A little too familiar. We've been at it for a long, long time. My parents have a cabin over in Wisconsin. And for each of my kids and for virtually every kid that's ever been there, one of the highlights of going up to Mud Hen, their cabin, is this Jeep. This little plastic, hand-me-down, battery-driven Jeep that has wheels that are completely bare at this point. And they will spend hours, this is an old picture, but they will spend hours and hours and hours driving around in this Jeep. In fact, they got to the point where they were fighting so much over who got to drive the Jeep, that my parents actually went and bought a thrift store second Jeep. It's a proud moment when you see your son driving his Barbie car. But kids absolutely love, love, love. I mean, they're surrounded by beauty. They're surrounded by all these things that they could do. And they want to spend their time driving in this Jeep. Why? Because little kids absolutely love driving. Ben wants to drive all the time. He asks me, you know, he's eight and he wants to back the car out of the driveway, right? (laughs) Kids love driving. Driving 15 year olds can't wait to turn 16. And then when they finally do turn 16, they're willing to do all of the family driving. They'll drive on trips. They'll drive on errands. I remember used to always be like, I'll go get gas. I don't care. You need the car washed. I totally will drive because we love driving. But I'll tell you 25 years later, driving has lost a little bit of its shine for me. You know, basketball tournaments and family trips and kids fighting in the car. In fact, it kind of went from being this thing that was so exciting when we were little. To becoming familiar and mundane. And eventually actually kind of feels like a chore, right? Now, it's not a perfect analogy because mine never are. But I think that's a little bit like what can happen in our faith relationships. And our understanding of God. Our relationship with God. Our experience of God. We start off so excited and so on fire and so passionate. And over time, it can become routine. It can become mundane and eventually it can even begin to feel like a chore. In fact, to my earlier point, I think the more time we spend just sitting around the store talking about running and never actually experiencing it, the more time that we go to church, but don't actually go out and bring others in the more our experience of God becomes about us the more it becomes mundane to the point that it can even feel like a chore. It's why it's so important to be around new Christians, people that are new to faith. The church was never meant to be a group of lifelong Christians who just sort of grow old together in the faith and slowly the experience of God becomes mundane. That's messed up. If that's our experience of God, why would anyone want to experience God with us? And as a church, we're meant to be bringing new people to faith, making new disciples of Jesus Christ, raising them up, mentoring them, building them. And in doing that, we get to experience that freshness. We get to see the world through their eyes. We get to see faith and experience God through their experience. Yes, we grow them up, but we are also grown as we make new disciples and mentor them and invite them into our lives and into our homes and into our church. We not only invest in them, but we are transformed. If you've been at ECC for any amount of time, you're probably familiar with the six continuums of discipleship. Uh, Chris has talked about this for years. Here's where we have them here. And it's interesting to note these first two, the discovering and connecting. Okay. This is something that all of us are on a journey of doing. If you, if you attend ECC, this is our hope. This is our plan for you to grow as a disciple. This is how we define discipleship. And these first two are about this It's discovering a more transformational walk with God. It's going to our neighbors and coworkers and friends and saying people that are not even interested in faith become curious and to go from being curious to being fully surrendered to Jesus to the point that their life is honoring to God. It's people that right now are strangers or neighbors and they're going from neighbor to guest here among us to friend to family As we got to see today in membership, as we get to see in the moments where we care and love for one another, where we really truly are family to one another. That is a picture of what we are, are inviting people into. That is our invitation That is what we want people to experience God with us. Last week, Chris invited us uh, to pray three prayers. Uh, He invited us to actually write these prayers down in post-it notes and and put them on your mirror, put them on the dashboard, or, or put them somewhere you can be reminded throughout the week to pray these prayers. The first was, God, allow me to see myself the way that you see me. So we can go into these conversations with humility and grace to know that we too are broken That is only by the grace of God that we've experienced healing and transformation. The second prayer was, God, help me to see others the way that you see them. God, help me to see others that as your, as your prize, as your precious children, but also help me to see them as needing you. And then finally, the third prayer was, God, help me to see and seize the opportunities that you present for me to be able to share the hope that is in me. Chris invited us to pray these throughout this last week. And I would invite us to continue that discipline. If you haven't yet, I've included these in your notes, post them, put them on your, your, your dresser, on your refrigerator, wherever it takes so that you are seeing them and being reminded. Because I truly believe that if we ask God to give us these opportunities, if we ask God to give us eyes that will see, if we ask God to give us the courage to actually act on that opportunity, he will be faithful to do that. Even in small ways and baby steps of moving towards being open to sharing the reason for the hope that we have. Sharing our faith is obviously more than just inviting people to church. I think that might be an easy start. That might be a small step, an easy invitation that you can make. Throughout the year, obviously, we do this big church thing every weekend where kids can experience great love and where you can experience teaching and all those different things. And that's great. You can invite people to that, but we also do things throughout the year, fun events, family events, roller skating and, and silly parties and fall kickoff and all these things. Those are all great invitations. A couple weeks ago, we rented out this entire facility. I mean, the, the gyms, the pools, the whole deal. So the teenagers could come and stay until two o'clock in the morning. And then their very tired. Parents (laughs) could come and be kind of grumpy the rest of the weekend, but it was great. (laughs) And a lot of friends came. It's an easy invite. It's one simple way of beginning to step out. One simple way that we can extend an invitation to start the conversation. One of the reasons we really believe in in this concept of small church, that we're just at the very front end of getting going, is that we believe that we can take this experience of God that we have in here, in this place, and bring that out into neighborhoods into homes that you can invite people to come to ECC by simply inviting them into your home because that's church too. Roy Oswald did a study of why new people come to church. This will be my last statistic. It's a 2% come because of an advertisement they see 6% come at the invitation of a pastor 6% uh, come on an organized evangelistic outreach program, but 86% said they came because of an invitation of a friend or a family member. Do we, do I really believe that God is so good, so amazing, so transformational that we want everyone to experience God with us? Come up with an action plan. Pray these prayers. Post these prayers. Ask God to reveal to you those people, those relationships that you have where you have the opportunity to present hope. To invite others to experience this life for their sakes. But also for ours, for yours, for mine, that we might experience new life together and so that we might more fully experience God with us. Let me pray for us. God, we thank you for your word. We thank you for these truths. We thank you uh, that you've called us into this mission that you are on to reclaim and to restore the world to yourself. But God, we also acknowledge in this place that there are elements of this that feel very uncomfortable for us, there are ways in which perhaps we've let ourselves off the hook. Ways in which we, we've not let our own experience of you transform us to the point that we want others to experience it. So God, for that, we repent. God, I pray that you'd be giving us courage. That you'd be giving us passion. That you would renew that first love in us. God, we pray for this community that you would give us eyes to see the world as you see it, ourselves and our neighbors and our friends, that we would see the opportunities that you place in our lives for us to graciously and with love tell your story. Help us to do that, to be faithful to that. We pray in the name of Jesus and by the power of your Holy Spirit. Amen.